You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Hi there, everybody. My name is Danny Anderson, and I'm happy to welcome you to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast, where we look at things like religion, pop culture, high culture, and politics, and try to find weird ways in which those things talk to each other. Uh, the comic book writer Alan Moore is therefore kind of a natural subject for, for this show, since his work engages pretty strongly with each of those categories. On a previous episode, you might remember we looked at um, his Miracle Man comic, and today we'll be looking at V for Vendetta. And joining me today, once again, is Angelo Letizia, who you might remember from a previous episode about using Batman to teach uh, future social studies teachers uh, concepts of citizenship. And, and so today he's got a really interesting religious reading of this book, and I'm very excited to welcome him back. How's it going, Angelo? Good, good. Things are going good, Danny. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, do you want to just to kind of remind the reader or listener, excuse me, um, remember your medium, Anderson. Uh, you remember, remind the listener who you are and, and what your background is? Yeah. So um, I'm a professor of education. I, I work at Notre Dame of Maryland University in Baltimore, Maryland. And um, as, as Danny mentioned, one of my responsibilities there is to train future social studies teachers. And I teach in a number of other courses as well. Um, and, and so one thing I'm always looking for is, is um, this idea of how do we teach citizenship um, and grapple with ideas of citizenship in our, in our age. And I think everybody in every age has always said, well, our age is, is special, but, but our age, I think, is really special when we consider some of the things going on. And, and so I think it's important for academics to, to search out new ways be, to, to teach citizenship, right? It's not just about voting anymore, picking up trash, right? It's, it's so complex to be a citizen in our era. And I think we just need new ways and tools to understand that. And that's sort of what I'm getting at here. Yeah, um, I really love that. I, I saw, I met Angelo at that Batman conference. You might remember if you're a longtime listener at Bowling Green last spring, and uh, and I saw his presentation about that, and I thought it was just really, really interesting. And and I, I as a teacher, like to use creative um, methods to teach kind of analytical concepts. Uh, quite often, I have my students do that, and uh, and what he was doing really kind of spoke to me, and I thought it was really cool, and so I had him on the show, and he's been a great friend of the show ever since, so I'm really happy to have him back. Um, and so, uh, let's just kind of jump in. I don't really have any announcements this time, so, uh, oh, the Patreon. If you want to be a patron, go to the Patreon thing. I'm, I'm a terrible pitch man for this kind of thing. I need to hire someone to pitch this for me. Um, so, um, but then I'll have to increase the Patreon stuff, and then we get into this cycle. This money just ruins everything. Um, but anyway... <laughs> So do you want to uh, give a little background of the comic? I'm sure everybody knows that mask, right? The Guy Fox mask is, is sort of a uh, an icon in our modern culture now. And I think pretty much everybody who listens to this show especially will know that it comes um, through Alan Moore's um, use of it in uh, the, the V for Vendetta comic. And so do you want to talk a little bit about the just the, the comic itself and, and the plot and whatnot? Sure. So, you know, the comic uh, – Dave Lloyd and, and Alan Moore. Dave Lloyd's the artist. And basically it's about a, a, it's a dystopian future, fascist society in England, uh, which has stomped on individual rights. 
um, and, and runs this this state, which uh, I would say akin to sort of Nazi Germany, thinks it has its the interests of the people at heart, where it really just stomps on their rights and extinguishes them. And and V, this character who doesn't really have a name or identity, which we'll we'll talk about that shortly. Um, over the course of a, of a year, leads this revolution um, and gets the people to to fight back. But it's it's a little that doesn't that 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 synopsis doesn't really do it justice because there's some deeper meanings there that I think with a Buddhist lens we can explore um, this work. And so one of the things, and um, I, I don't want to preempt my my later conversation too much, but one of my readings of it is it wasn't just a political revolution. It was almost like a spiritual revolution, um, which I, I'll talk about with, with the reading of Buddhism. So to say it was just uh, getting them to, to fight back against a tyrannical government is only true in part. It sort of misses a big chunk of the story, but that's a, the general synopsis of the work. Yeah, that's exactly true. Um, he, I mean, one of his main activities really alongside the, the politics and the, in the sort of radical, um, violent politics that he uh, employs on the on the nation of England at this point um, is that he um, collects artifacts of culture right um, that have been lost right and banned basically by the canceled by uh, by the by the government yeah. right and uh, and he has this uh, what's he called the shadow what's it called the shadow what's his name of shadow his? gallery the shadow gallery it's bat cave basically right and it's uh, yeah. and it's uh, it's basically filled with old movie posters and memorabilia and artifacts of culture and so he's definitely interested in something more than just um, strictly like politics right for him there's something um about identity and, and spirituality that is part of this and for me i mean it's easy for me to kind of connect our cultural artifacts with our spiritual lives because those are the those are symbols of the things we love right and so to me it's a, a culture is an innately spiritual um activity and so his his rescuing of culture alongside these politics um are definitely uh, important um also like important i just want to add one thing is um he kind of adopts a a, a protege um evie who is um a, kind of a she's about to become a child prostitute basically uh mm-hmm. when he rescues her and uh and, and kind of brings her into this world um and uh we can talk about the way he brings her into this world and, and v is not like an a, a, a non he, v is a very complex character right um some of the, his tactics are not good i think <laughs> and so the way he sure. sort of brainwashes uh you could make a case that he brainwashes and uh, we would say gaslights um evie to some some degree mm-hmm. in uh in training her to be his protege um so uh, th- there's there's not a w- there's not a way to look at him as a purely good figure right he is sort of this right. like almost satanic figure of just pure um change right and so um but so that's another element of this book that is uh, important to, to talk about it's not just him he's sort of like um, spreading the uh, the message um, through another person, and so it, it's a very interesting aspect of this book. It's a very if you've never read the book, I've actually never seen the movie. Believe it or not, it must have come out when I was in grad school, and I, I just didn't have time. Oh so. six, the movie came out in oh six. <laughs> yep, I started grad school in oh five, so that explains it. Yeah, so um, uh, and so I I. I know about it, but I've never seen the uh, the movie. The book is very complex. There's very intricate subplots, lots of uh, minor characters that come in and out of this, and uh, and lots of uh, references. And so it's a very complex read. It's not a quick uh, comic to read. It'll take you a few days to get through this oh, one, yeah. but um, but it's worth reading. It's it's got, it raises a lot of interesting questions. And you're um, bringing a Buddhist lens to this approach is I think a very interesting. Um, 
idea. So um, any, anything else you want to add to sort of the background of the comic? Well, and, you know, I just wanted to put this caveat in. Um, any Buddhist reading you have of this can immediately be canceled out because V uses violence. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very important to discuss this. So what I'm asking the listeners to do is, in a sense, suspend that for a moment. Um, or at least, as as said, it's it's very complex. So if we could just sort of entertain both, that can you be a Buddhist and be violent? I mean, a lot of people probably say no. But at least for the show, just to make an interesting reading, I think we might just need to suspend his use of violence um, and just look at some other Buddhist themes. And and I want to, you know, if we get to it, I want to look at some of his other works too. Yeah. Uh, Watchmen and 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 um. um Killing Joke, which, again, also used violence. So we just have to sort of suspend that yeah. um, as as listeners and readers to, to see it through a Buddhist lens. Yeah, I, I don't know that we have to even think of him as a Buddhist, right? Um, I think right. that um, think, I mean, right. looking yeah. at some of aspects of what he's does through a Buddhist lens is, uh, is okay. good enough. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I don't yeah, think, I think that's a better way to say, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have to necessarily, um, make the large claim that some people might want to make about what you're saying there. So, um, so there's a lot of like, so if you know, Alan Moore's work, um, a lot of this, the ideas behind this book will seem familiar, right? It has a lot in common with Watchmen in terms of its um, suspicion of authority. Um, it's got a lot of in common with um, Miracle Man uh, for many of the same reasons, um, if you've listened to that episode. Um, how do you see this relating to the general concerns of Alan Moore's career, who you're sort of ambivalent about? You, you, you have sort of mixed feelings about Alan Moore. Um, yeah, so like you said, I mean, I think... You see these grand struggles um, between, you know, the, these opposing forces. And I, I really um, – and I know this book is much maligned, but but The Killing Joke for me, it was one of the – when I really started to understand comics and understand the power of them was really when I, I read that book. And I, I saw this titanic struggle between good and evil or chaos and order, whatever you want to call it. Um, I see a little bit of that in, in V for Vendetta, but it's inverted because – in the Killing Joke, you're rooting for Batman, and and Joker's just horrendous, obviously. Mm-hmm. But in, in V for Vendetta, you're rooting for anarchy. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it's 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 the same theme almost, but it's an inverted theme. Yeah. Um, you root for the anarchist. You root for V, even though he is violent. It's all controlled and 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 for a purpose. So I think that's a really neat reading of it in itself. Yeah, it's very interesting because I the Joker movie that just came out and uh, maybe in the uh, maybe for the um, uh, the Patreon listener or listeners out there, we can talk for a few minutes after this episode about your thoughts on the Joker movie, if uh, if you will, like a little bonus episode oh, for them. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's another reason to uh, uh, to subscribe on Patreon. It's uh, it's cheap and it, it, it's worth it. And helps me buy new cables. Listen to this. So uh, anyway, so um, the uh, but. One of the complaints about that movie, and I think they're picking up on something that it inherited, the Joker movie, from The Killing Joke, um, Alan Moore's mm-hmm. version of The Joker, where we get this backstory for The Joker, right? And I think people were complaining about um, 
making the Joker a sympathetic character, right? And there he's he's going to there this movie is therefore yeah. going to inspire some sort of like incel insurrection, right? Uh in in society. I think having seen the movie, I don't think that that's this movie is not going to do that because of the nature of this Joker. But and what I said in response to that, if you want to see, I mean, it's nowhere near going to have the impact that something like V for Vendetta would have on inspiring people to do bad things right. in society, right? Um, and so um, I think that you brought in that connection um, between those two works um, in a way that they kind of come down on the, the figure of the Joker here. And so V can be seen almost as a sympathetic Joker uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think, and because and he is mad. I mean, that's the, that's the his backstory is that he was part of some experimentation in which right. many people were dying. Some people were growing fingers in their legs and stuff like this. It's kind of unclear what awful. the experimentation was. Um, he went insane. Right. Um, but kind of um, criminal mastermind insane. And so this is uh, but he uses this against the fascist government. And so he's OK for us. And so that's what one of the reasons he's a very complicated character, I think. Um, and yeah, so that's uh, so this book is very much in line with Alan Moore's general concerns, I think you can see. Um, and so um, and even down to the point we talked uh, before recording about From Hell, um, From Hell is very much suspicious of kind of a strong um, quasi fascist centralized government, right, which has this. Uh, conspiracy theory or this conspiracy to murder um, people that challenge its authority, right? And so um, in, in a sense that the the idea of this kind of fascist centralized government um, also um, looks uh, familiar in From Hell as well. So um, I'll throw that one out there. Um, so um, why don't you start talking about the sort of Buddhist approaches and you including me into some of the background, how you came to this project. I think that's really interesting, actually. Um, do you want to kind of talk about that from the Genesis? Yeah. So I would love to give credit to somebody, but it's actually an anonymous reviewer of my book manuscript. Um, so I had submitted. <laughs> yeah. So I had submitted a project to Paul Grave McMillan. Uh, this is a shameless plug for my book that'll be coming out sometime next year. Uh, it's basically called How to Draw a Citizenship. And it, it's, Which you're, it's more than, to- you're more than welcome to come on the show to talk about when it does come out. So, yes. Well, I would love to. And it's basically divided into two parts. It's it's one The one section is reading comics, reading citizenship in comics, and it has a number of exercises uh, for students to read comics and look at citizenship that way, look at citizenship. And then the other part is student drawing comics, and that's what the last show I was on. You know, that's where that came from. Um, but one of the reviewers said something to me that, that sort of changed my whole outlook and said, you know, it's a great book. I'm going to get my stamp of approval. But on the condition that the author seeks out and looks at non-Western visions of citizenship. Mm. So the author is very focused on Western and Anglo visions of citizenship. And that got me thinking that, yeah, I was being kind of a chauvinist and not, not meaning to, uh, but that's just how I'm trained. That's just what I teach. And so I said, well, all right, that's not really my thing. Um, I said, so instead of trying to shotgun a whole bunch of different conceptions of citizenship, why don't I just focus on one? and go into one in depth. And I had a little familiarity with Buddhism because I was a social studies teacher for 11 years. And I also taught introduction to philosophy at the high school level. And I had always taught Buddhism. It was part of the curriculum and I had taught at my philosophy class. And it was just something that always had resonated with me. I, I, I love, I, I love the ideas of Buddhism. And 
I said, well, maybe that's something I can explore. And then as I was just so happened, I was driving home. I, I have a long commute to work. And so instead of just listening to music, I, I listened to books on CD, my, my car's CD player. <laughs> and so I had just, just by chance had picked up a lectures on Buddhism. And uh, his name is David Malcolm Eckel. And he at the time, I don't know if he's still there, but he was lecturing. He was at Boston University. And he was lecturing. I'm listening to this two-part lecture series. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about the political implications of Buddhism. And I, as all of a sudden, a light went off because I was struggling to find something that I could use for my book. And I said, oh, my God, there it is. I said, I can use. So it was really serendipitous how this came to me. <sighs> and so I explored his work more. I got really into Buddhism. I found some other sources. Um, and then once I delved into it, I found that there was a, really a lot there. Uh, now, there's some people, and I can give you some sources that you can go read. The listeners can look into this on their own. But, um, you know, there's some people that claim that, you know, Buddhism, politics are secondary to Buddhism. And there is a, there's very much truth in that. But uh, some 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 authors, some some scholars claim that there is a strong if secondary role of politics in Buddhism. But the secondary nature makes it actually very interesting. Um, and so that's sort of how I came to this. And I, and I started seeing Buddhism from a political lens. And then, of course, I was reading V for Vendetta at the time, and, and I started seeing a whole bunch of uh, Buddhist uh, themes in that comic, and that's when Danny and I started talking and I came on the show. So um, that's where the whole idea of it didn't just pull this out of a hat. Well, I guess in some ways I did, but um, I was prodded to this uh, by the reviewer of my book and, and by some of the great literature uh, on politics and Buddhism that I have found out there, which I'll provide for the, for the listeners. Yeah. And I mean, that sounds very familiar to me coming from a, uh, I mean, I know nothing about um, Buddhist theology, but, um, but coming from a sort of the Christian world, um, there is a debate within Christianity as to the political nature of, of Christianity as well. Right. And so it doesn't surprise right. me that other religions have that kind of debate. And I, and I think in Christianity, what it often comes down to is how you're defining politics. Right. And I think right now right. we're in a moment where people, um, are people in my circles are withdrawing from politics because it's, what they conceive of, what they what they think of is you're joining a political party as a Christian, right? And and I don't think that that's exactly how I'm thinking of politics and Christianity. I'm thinking really? just sort of yeah. <laughs> and so um, really good point. Yeah, and so I I don't know how the what the little in, intra party debates are like in uh, in Buddhism, but um, there there are and there are precedents for this in Christianity as well, I think. And so um, so give me a I know I, I just want to, to add one thing onto yeah, that. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's really important. Something in grad school, when you come coming from organizational theory, there's this idea of politics. And, and like you said, everybody assumes it's the federal government, it's Trump or Obama, whoever. But politics really could just mean anytime you have a group or different groups of people in any organization that are positioning themselves for resources. Yeah. And that's another way, I think, to look at it, too. So, yeah, when we talk about politics. It doesn't necessarily have to be Washington, D.C. Or, or for us, Annapolis, right? For you guys, Harrisburg. I mean, it, yeah. it can be politics in an office, in a family even. Yeah. Anytime there's groups or coalitions of people not fighting, but but searching or, or trying to get resources, you, you can talk about politics being present. Yeah. Whenever I hear like Christian friends of mine who are um, like anti-political because they don't want to be associated with Jerry Falwell, which I totally get, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get uh, I, like that's not what I see. That's not what I mean when I'm urging people to be political. What I mean right. is like organization, right? So when you right. collect, when you gather people together that's to right. collect food to give to the homeless, um, that's a political act for me, right? Because yep. you're speaking into a social situation 
situation through political organization, right? Um, that's what I mean by politics. And so, um, uh, but yeah, we can get, that's a, a slight diversion here from what we're talking about. Um, so, okay. um, but the, uh, uh, the one moment I noticed of, of overtly in this book is V at one point uh, commandeers the the television station that puts out the propaganda for the government, um, which is called Norse, Norse fire. What's the name of their, uh, yeah, Norse fire. Believe it is. Yeah. Um, that's the party. So basically, um, there was a nuclear war and Africa has been wiped out and Europe has been wiped out. And for some reason, Africa, I, I don't know if that's the place they were just testing bombs and showing off. I don't know why they would bomb Africa. Right. But we're not really given that information. Um, England is left kind of, um, you know, it's the results of nuclear winter, but there is, uh, it wasn't destroyed, right? And so there's basically no government in place. And you have a, a period in which lots of kind of almost like uh, minor like warlord groups are vying for power. And this fascist group, um, the, uh, the the Norse fire group, um, be, claims power and, and institutes a fascist um, government on, on England um, at the time. And then, and then V is stepping into that world um, in resistance. Um, and so uh, one of the things that they do to maintain power is they have a propaganda news channel that everybody watches, right? And so V, one of the things he does is uh, commandeer that station and uh, play a tape in which he sort of urges people to um, kind of resist their government. And in one scene of that tape, he's standing in front of a Buddha, a, a statue of Buddha. Um, and so that's one obvious place I could see sort of a, a yep. Buddhist reference in this uh, book. Um, you can maybe talk a little bit more in depth about that moment, but um, ultimately, what are some other moments that we see um, Buddhism as a way to understand what's going on in this book? Okay. So, you know, number one, I think the old, we talked about this in the beginning of the show too, or, you know, before we start recording, is this idea of the no self. Um, and this is one of the fundamental, let me just run through quickly some of the fundamental differences or what makes Buddhist politics distinct. Um, from from sort of more Western conceptions. Okay. So in Western conceptions, uh, one of the main focuses in the West is on the individual, right? We have individual rights and this idea of the individual participating. Buddhist Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist religion talks about this idea of the no self. They they don't see the self as a stable entity. They, they see the self as as a forum or a space, if you will, of competing forces mm -hmm. and what you are today is not what you are yesterday what you were yesterday not what you'll be tomorrow you're constantly so the self isn't a stable entity there is no self and of course when you die yourself is just sort of what you know that forum that was there is extinguished so if we look at it like that that is essentially what v is in some ways i think um well we we don't know his identity and he has that mask on we never know truly who he is. We, we get some backstory, so maybe you could push back a little bit. Maybe he's not truly a no-self, and we get some backstory, but we really don't have a name. He really is a no-self. Um, and so in, in that sense, that was one of the most obvious ways that I saw Buddhism at play here. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can okay, hear you. Yeah, you sound funny. great. Um, and let me um, like just kind of follow up on that. So in – at one point, he also kidnaps um, someone who was like a guard. At, he was held at one point we, in the backstory that we get from him, um, basically a concentration camp where experimentation was done on um, African or not African Americans, black people, um, gay people. 
um, uh, whatever, like uh, my people who didn't fit the fascist conception of citizenship, right? And so, uh, right. basically, it's the Nazi, uh, the Nazis in 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 the 1980s, basically. And so, um, he's held in one of these, and we don't know why he's there. Whether he was gay, whether he was a socialist, whether uh, we don't know why he yeah. was there. Whether he was a person of color, we don't know. Um, and so, we don't have any kind of real personal identifier for V um, going into that that thing. When we do see him in one of the doctor's recollection, basically there's a, di- a journal that's been kept and they find, um, all we see is a silhouette, right, um, behind a flame. And so we are in front of a flame. And so we can't, we just have no individuating detail um, on V's appearance. And so even when we do see his figure, it doesn't associate with an identity, Right. Um, and at one point he kidnaps one of the guards for uh, from his time there. And he actually puts on a different mask for that um, uh, for that episode. Right. And so um, I, I don't I'm sure someone has like really good understandings of the difference between those masks. I'm sure there's really good readings out there at some pop culture conference somewhere um, about the, the, the distinction between those um, those two masks that he wears. But that's just one example of his the fluidity um, and really the just unimportance of his identity. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to hop back on. And then, you know, at the end, spoiler alert, uh, you know, he dies and then Evie, his protege sort of takes over. And obviously we know who she is, but even she also almost assumes a no self towards the very, very end, the very last pages. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she almost sort of transcends her own self to become that sort of no self. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, this this is again one of the fundamental differences. And when we think about it, and and this really opened my eyes as a citizen, as, as somebody who teaches citizenship, we always come at it from the angle of the self. But in Buddhism, the self is not nearly as important. There really is a no self, and they call it anatta. I don't know if I'm actually pronouncing that right because I've never actually heard it pronounced. But it's anatta, the doctrine of no self, and the self is essentially just a temporary collection of forces. Yeah. Um, and you think of the the self as a as a space for all these, and you can think about V in that sense. I mean, he's got his previous life, which we don't know much about. Um, we've got these sort of I don't want to say competing, but these different ideas. Yeah, like you said, maybe he's a homosexual, maybe he's a socialist. I mean, he was obviously exper- all these things are sort of just rushing through him. Um, he's obviously a culture aficionado, right? Maybe he was doing podcasts back then. Who knows, right? <laughs> Uh, he's got all these sort of things swirling around that push him. First, they um, came for the podcasters. Right. Yeah, first they came for the podcasters and the comic size. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but you know, so he's got all these things sort of pushing and driving him. Um, and you know, like you said, he transcends any one individual. He, mm-hmm. He's more than a Thomas Jefferson, let's say, right? Or a George. He's more than that. He's 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 a. And I think he might even say this. So he's a symbol, right? He's he's more than just a an individual. Yeah, yeah. That's um why he can't die. He he makes the claim that he can't die because he doesn't exist. Basically, he's just a symbol. Um, and so and when he does die, Evie does have the choice to look at his face. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't do it. She um she doesn't. That's right. Um, she right. wants him to be the potential to be anybody who was oppressed right. by this government basically. Right. And so, um, um yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, that's a great point. Cause at one point she's wondering if he's her father, mm-hmm. like she doesn't know. And, and, and you're right. That's something else that I, you know, I just forgot about, but yeah, he's, she's, she's trying to figure out, did, did I know him? Was he my father? Cause her, her parents were taken away. 
Um, so there's this kind of running thread that we don't. And I, I got one of the other editions where Alan Moore kind of writes, and he's like, yeah, it could be the grocery down there. We don't know who it is. And they, they want to purposely leave it open. I think he said something like that. Yeah. Um, but that's really important. He could be anybody. And to Evie, he is. He's all these. You know, he might be all these people. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that uh, was it Ryan Johnson, the guy that did the last uh, The Last Jedi. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, I think that's one thing he wanted to do in that he wanted to destroy the um, elite uh, nature of the Jedi order. And you get the suggestion basically that anybody could be a Jedi at the end of that movie. Right. You have little kids making right, broomsticks. Kid. Yeah. yeah. And so um, you've got this, uh, I, I think a move towards that in that movie. And maybe that's one thing that people didn't like about that movie. We have a whole episode on the last Jedi. You can go back and check the archives. Um, but, um, um, but yeah, I think that that is um, definitely what's at play there. I do. While we're here uh, on this subject though, I mean, it's impossible to live in the world without embodying some sort of identity. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And so, um, he does take on the guy Fox persona, right? Um, and, and so he, um, the guy, the guy Fox mask is, um, is the, the face that he does show to the world. Right. Um, and so what is it about that persona, do you think? Obviously, he begins this episode by blowing up Parliament, as Guy Fox tried right. to do during the Gunpowder um, Rebellion. And so um, there, the, the, there's a, a corollary there. Um, but one wonders if he chose to blow up Parliament because he had taken on Guy Fox's identity, right? Um, whether or wh- which direction that w- that actually was uh, was going. So, what do you think about the nature of the identity that he does sort of settle on for his own um, endeavors? It's a good point. Um, you know, he has the name Guy Fox, but it's really not the flesh and blood Guy Fox anymore, right? right? I mean, even in our own culture, we have these heroes like a George Watt. Okay, let me take that back. We- that's for another episode if we want to consider people like our <laughs> heroes. But, but just the idea, they take it on almost legendary status. Okay. Um, it almost become mythical. And, and um, one of the people that I, I read about, uh, her name is Elizabeth Vandiver. She, she talks a little bit about this, like, sort of people that become mythical, you know, flesh and blood people that almost become mythical. Um, and there's like tall tales or something like that. So, you know, Guy Fawkes is hanged, right? I mean, he's he's dead. Um, but the Guy Fox persona is something different than the flesh and blood person, I think. And so it's almost like a discourse reading, right? When you read a certain phrase or a word and it has these sort of meanings beyond the word itself, I think Guy Fox sort of has that mythical almost connotation. Um, at least that's how it's presented to us. Um, so I think that's what it, it is a flesh and blood. Pr- it is an identity, but Guy Fox in itself is a symbol that may not even correspond to the actual flesh and blood person. I mean, there's obviously connections, but it's so much bigger than the person who died in 16, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's interesting. So now we're getting into a place where in, was it the Dark Knight? One of the, I think it was the second Batman movie. Yes, um, I was thinking, thinking about this too, actually. Where the guys dress in hockey pads and dress like Batman, right? Um, and, and go out and yeah. do what he does. So it, um, you're getting into a, a place where there is a, a way in which a real person transcends his his 
corporeality, corporeality, and, and becomes a symbol of something, right? Um, something else, which was and anybody can have it. Yeah, so it's kind of like a no self. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, and incidentally, with with Guy Fox, um, I don't. I, I just got to make a recommendation <laughs> while I'm here. Uh, I I really love. There's a, a series of old uh, film noir kind of murder movies that I really love uh, by a guy named John Brom. I actually wrote about him for um, Film Inquiry once, um, and one of the movies is called um, Hangover Square. And one of the things that the killer does after murdering somebody um, is go to a Guy Fox night um, uh, <laughs> burning. They basically uh, pile up Guy Fox effigies and burn them in the street as a big sort of celebration of 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 whatever in England. Um, and he actually takes his body and dresses it as a Guy Fox and, uh, and throws it on top of the, the pile to be burned. And that's how he hides his crime. It's, it's a, a fascinating little moment in that movie. I have to say, um, in an otherwise always fascinating movie too. So, um, yeah, interesting, uh, character in, in general. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I think that that's a, a good way to think about how even the identity that he does cho- choose isn't, necessarily tied to a stable person. Um, a symbol right. can be made to you be used in any number of ways as, I mean, this movie, this uh, book has a life of its own given that people like folks like who are the members of anonymous, uh, use Guy Fox masks, right. um, yeah. when they're doing their hacking, uh, the Occupy Wall Street people would very often mm-hmm. um, use Guy Fox masks. Now, what's interesting about all that is all this sort of anti-capitalist protest. Um, the Guy Fox, Fox face is now owned by the company, <laughs> right? The, and so they're actually profiting off of off all of this, ironically or not. But um, yeah, make this stuff up. yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, there, that's actually been brought into copyright now, which is uh, which is kind of horrifyingly ironic but um but yeah so um that's a really great um explanation of of the no self i think in in with regards to this to this book um so uh, i mean go ahead talk about another thing yeah yeah, move on yeah so one other thing that i i saw in there um something and this comes from um she she was a revolutionary um excuse me i want to pronounce her her name correctly uh um is uh ansan shukai uh she's um revolutionary from from burma or minamar i'll just i'll, I'll call it burma um but um she uh, brought in through her peaceful revolutions a lot of um a lot of buddhist ideas okay. her, her father unyu was was also a, a buddhist revolutionary so if you look at the history and i this I, i'm not an expert on this but i know enough about it right her um if you look at southeast asia modern and even ancient we go back to the ruler ahsoka there has been people that have rulers that have brought in you know been buddhist rulers or at least ascribed to some ideas from buddhism so there is a buddhist political tradition talking about governments here uh, that's alive and well um, and, and something that I gleaned from from her work, she she wrote a series of essays. Uh, a lot of them when she was under house arrest, uh, but or a lot of them were actually cut short when she was under house arrest. But one thing that she talks about is an idea of, um, and something that really intrigues me, is an idea of spiritual progress. Mm. So a Buddhist revolutionary doesn't just seek to change policies. A Buddhist revolutionary seeks to to have the people make spiritual progress. And there's this one absolutely phenomenal scene, and. You have God, you have V, and the backdrop, and only, you can only do this in comics, right? The backdrop, you have pictures of Hitler, Stalin, uh, and Mussolini. Yeah. 
And he says, you know, he chastises the people. So instead of saying, oh, these are horrible rulers, which they are, he chastises the people. He says, this is your fault because mm -hmm. you let them come to power. Mm -hmm. This is your fault. You were sleeping at the wheel. You let bad management come in. <laughs> and he, I mean, it's a really interesting take on it. He chastises the people. And he gets a little bit of this in the movie, too, but it's, I think it's done so much better in the book. And, you know, the whole idea is, is, is he wants to create this anarchy where people, right, kind of live their own lives. Um, and that ties into at least some readings of Buddhism. Um, ironically enough, the guy's the st the scholar's name is Matthew Moore. So I don't think there's any relation to Alan Moore. Yeah. Um, but his conception of Buddhism, he he said the Buddha never explicitly states this, but his reading of it is that um, the ideal government for a Buddhist would be some sort of enlightened anarchy where everybody just is kind of cool and does their own thing. Um, it is peaceful. And that's sort of what V wants, right? I mean, we know that V wants anarchy. There's a great scene in the beginning where V is talking to one of the late, the statues of lady justice. Yeah. And he basically calls her a harlot. Yeah. Right. And he says, you know, you've gone, you were democracy, but you've gone with fascism. Well, now I'm with somebody and it's anarchy. Right. Yeah. So I think there's, there's those readings there too. Um, it's not just a switch in regime. It's not just a switch. in. this is how I'm reading it. Okay. Not just a switch in policies. There is a, a real bottom up sort of grassroots change of, of people. Right. Rousseau talks a little bit about this. It's not enough to just change. Marx, I think, talks about this a little bit too. It's not just enough to change laws. You got to change. They say men, but you know, you got to change people. And how do you do that? I don't. I don't exactly know, um, because right, you can make all the anti-racist laws you want, but until people really believe that, you're kind of just making extrinsic changes. So I think this is something really fascinating for politics in general, and a really hard nut to crack. And how you get to that spiritual progress, that change in in personality and vision and idea, not just the change in policy. And I see that at work in, in V for Vendetta. Yeah. That's a really fascinating um, approach to this um, because yeah. And I think that that's an interesting, okay. So my, this is where me stepping completely out of my depth. So you have to forgive me and, and talk me back to, to reality here. But so one interesting um, unique angle that I think a Buddhist conception of the self, of the no self, um, how that challenges Western conceptions is that, especially in America, it's we highly prize the individual. Like, I mean, all, and, it, and it goes all the way through our to our tax code, right? I mean, everything um, it, um, is oriented around the individual, and that and that could that applies to good things as well, like sort of um, the liberal conceptions of individual rights, right? Um, but right. but all of mm -hmm. those things are conceived as for the benefit of an individual, right? And so yep. um, what's interesting is that what we see in England in the book of Even Vendetta is an inverse of that, where the individual doesn't matter at all, right? Um, the individual, it's um, the, the, the leader, um, Susan, what's his first name? Uh, Adam Susan. Adam yeah. Susan. Um, he's like completely um he, he has a speech in which he completely dismisses uh any kind of concern for the individual because the the group is all that matters right and so i mean he's just making he's mouthing the philosophy of fascism and so um and so the buddhist conception um by removing the possibility of an individual um like really challenges the fundamental i it, it, it's a very complicated uh, connection to what V is trying to do, because ultimately, isn't he trying to argue 
I, I guess this is me. I'm just trying to, I'm thinking off the top of my head and this is why I'm sounding so scattered right now, but isn't he trying to argue for ultimately the elevation of individuals to do whatever they want? And doesn't that somehow run into conflict with the idea of individuals <laughs> doing whatever they want? I, I feel like there's a weird paradox to be explored there and I can't quite put my finger on it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because in Buddhism, you sort of have something similar where there's this devaluation or there's the no self, but at the same point, every individual has to, if they want, they don't have to, there's, there's no God, there's no judge telling them they have to do this, but every individual is responsible for their own salvation. Okay. So you, you can even read that into boot, that tension into Buddhism. So even, even, you know, this idea that there's an enlightened anarchy and enlightened anarchy kind of, kind of portends that there's some sort of focus on the individual. But I think the whole point here is that in Buddhism, this, this, any focus on the individual is sort of temporary. Yeah. Um, right. And, and sort of maybe used when necessary. Um, but, uh, the whole point of Buddhism is to get to salvation, to extinguish the self. Yeah. And so, yeah, this could be a pushback. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, th absolutely. This could be a pushback and, and, and to say that there's limits to a Buddhist reading uh, of this as well. Absolutely. Um, but you know, this whole idea of letting people decide for themselves, there is, a there is that in Buddhism as well, because every individual has to, and this is another point of contention between Buddhism and the, and the West. West places a very high premium on political action, mm -hmm. right? Whereas Buddhism does not. Buddhism actually, a lot of Buddhists say, you know what, having a good government, that can help you get to salvation, but it's not necessary. Yeah, um, You could do it in a bad government. It's all an individual choice. Um, so there's that reading of it too. And I think what you're, you're saying here also is that, you know, there's just, it's very complicated, right? So even in our own, you don't want too much individuals, but you don't want no individualism because you don't want fascism, right? So, right. Um, there's sort of that happy medium, I guess. And I think that's sort of where I see it. V wants people to make their own decisions. And in Buddhism, it's kind of the same thing. This enlightened anarchy, people are supposed to come to nirvana themselves. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the other beauties of it. And I actually saw a parallel of this in Watchmen, uh, albeit a little more darker, Watch, uh, Rorschach says that we're rudderless. There's nothing guiding us. And in Buddhism, that's kind of similar too. They believe in gods, but there's no overarching deity that's telling people what to do or control or pulling the strings. Yeah. Everybody's sort of responsible for themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's kind of maybe I see, I don't know if that answers your, your, your criticism, but I think well, it maybe sort of goes towards it. I don't even know what I'm saying. I, I, I just, I just I'm, I'm <laughs> sensing something here that I need to explore. And I, unfortunately for the listener, I, it was live on air. And so like you're getting the messiness of my thought there and the, the limits of my knowledge too. But you're uh, right. I mean, absolutely. But, but, and so, and honestly, when you go back to Rorschach though, I mean, he is usually seen as a fascist, right? And so, I mean, it would, mm -hmm. it would be very uh, uh, consistent that he's critical of that kind of uh, rudderlessness then. Um, and another, so another kind of paradox then that I see, in in V's um, idea of anarchism. So maybe this has nothing to do with Buddhism. Maybe it's tangentially related. But so he sees anarchism as a, a reversal and a kind of cure for fascism, right? And so bust, right. busting up that cohesion of um, the, the, co the controlled cohesion of fascism um, results in anarchism, which is um, the best way to live. That is the good, right? If you're thinking in, in, in right. kind of Aristotelian terms here. And so, um, and so, but 
the fascism actually emerges out of exactly that state. Um, the government had fallen um, um, in, in the way that this story has mm-hmm. been told, and there was no government. And so um, there was a power vacuum that fascism um, swooped in and uh, to fill. And so uh, how would V's vision um, avoid that kind of fate in a, in a future post-fascist world again? If we are, if he blows up all the buildings and kills all the fascists, right? Um, what he's doing is creating a new power vacuum for people to live this kind of good life. And maybe this is where the Buddhist approach does come in. If we spiritually recharge everybody in a different way, um, there'll be a different um, sort of outcome, perhaps. And maybe that's the whole point of him um, holding this sort of almost like you can almost think of what he has uh, in the, the shadow gallery as kind of a library of Alexandria, like the sort of um, uh, collection of lost culture. And maybe through that uh, lost culture, we have some sort of um, possibility of a spiritual regeneration. Uh, I, I'm speculating completely here. What are your thoughts? No, I think you kind of answered your question. I mean, that's kind of how I, I read it. And, you know, maybe it's it's two types of anarchy, right? There's bad anarchy and good anarchy. There's bad anarchy where people are hungry and fighting uh, because they're competing for resources, but maybe in a good anarchy, right? And, and this this also, look to me, this, this also sounds a lot like Marxism, right? Oh, yeah. You know, if we look at Marxism, uh, you know, what Stalin did, what's in China, that's not true Marxism. That's a that's te- a temporary stage. Right? And again, this is all utopian. We, we, we know this probably would never happen. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, for Marx, the stages were feudalism, capitalism, capitalism would fall. You would have socialism, most likely a brutal socialism uh, with a one party rule. But that was supposed to fade away and you were supposed to get this you know, the withering of the state and this sort of vision of the proletariat ruling with he doesn't actually go into it. But my understanding would be there would be some sort of maybe administrative structures, but not a centralized government, um, you know, to fix the roads and, and, yeah. and schools. Yeah, we're totally speculating. <laughs> but that's sort of kind of how I read it, that maybe like you said, he you have this horrible, bad anarchy and they have to pass. I mean, maybe it's a Marxist reading. I don't know. They have to pass through the fire of, of, of fascism. And then they sort of come out, like you said, spiritually charged and can make better decisions because they've passed through this test. And I still hmm. see the alignment with Buddhism of this sort of enlightened anarchy where everybody kind of just does their own thing and, and, and is responsible for their own salvation. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and um, he also, uh, yeah, at one point he quotes, doesn't he quote um, – uh, who am I? Uh, Alistair Crowley. Uh, he says something about uh, do what thou will. That's the entire, the, the whole of the law or something. Um, and, and so, yeah, and that, I, yeah, and so you've get this another, without, so without some sort of like um, spiritual guidance though, that is a, to me, a recipe for disaster, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, and so this is where I, I wonder about V's ultimate. Um, sort of goal and not that he needs to have one. He is a madman, right? He is insane. And so uh, there is a sense in which um, he uh, may not have some sort of um, long-term plan for this. He just wants to destroy what's there uh, like the Joker. Right. And so, uh, and, and see what happens. But, but yeah, that, that is sort of, I mean, the puzzle of this book and why V is such a complicated character, I think is right there. Um, you, you, so you wanted to talk about this, um, connection in maybe some other more works. Maybe we could uh, like get to that before we close up. We're actually already approaching an yeah. hour, if you can believe it. So, yeah, <laughs> so, this has been a really fun conversation. Go ahead. No, it's been great. 
And, uh, you know, so I could just uh, we'll talk a little bit about watch, but I kind of already touched on it, basically. But this idea of uh, Buddhism, there's no tilios, right? There's 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 no there, there's nobody pulling the strings. Um, there's gods, but they don't they, they're kind of like uninterested in human affairs. Yeah. Um, so it's a very empowering religion in that sense that the individual is responsible for their own salvation. And maybe I guess maybe some similar in Protestantism, but in Buddhism, I just see it a lot more because. There is no almighty God, right? In Protestantism, you still have that almighty God. You don't really have that Buddhism. Yeah. And again, there's that that brilliant scene that I love where, where Rorschach just screams, no, we're rudderless, right? And so to me, I read that as, again, it's not a, a direct mapping of Buddhism. I'm not saying he's a Buddhist, right? He's very violent. Um, there's obviously fascist overtones there. But in just that one sense where he talks about there being no, no ultimate power, no tilios behind the scenes – um, everybody's sort of responsible for themselves. I saw that as a little bit of Buddhism. The other thing, too, that I saw with Rorschach, this one scene where Rorschach's eating a can of beans, right? He doesn't shower. He's like he's, um, Sue Kai. She talks about one of the uh, principles for the uh, a Buddhist kings is austerity, uh-huh. not ostentation. This, right? This idea of, of a total, and I would just to go back to what you were talking about earlier in america you know we are told and i'm getting a little bit off here but we are told to buy things right go go into credit card debt that's good right our conception of individualism is rooted in economics it's rooted in an economic um right so i think the the boot the in buddhism the individualism is is rooted in a much more spiritual place it's not this free for all of, of buying crap you don't need and then going into debt Right. It's 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 a much different type of individualism. And Rothschild, yes, is a fascist. So let's put that on the table. And he's very violent. So let's just put that on the table. But at the same point, he he really is not distracted by wealth at all. Yeah. Right. Um, and he, he doesn't see an ultimate Tilios. He, he sees everybody responsible for their actions, himself included. So I see some Buddhist elements there as well. You remind me there um, back after 9-11, um, President Bush. Um, his advice was to go out and buy things, right? Yeah. Um, and that was that was yeah, that should have told us I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot. Um, but also, like um, Rorschach, as you describe him, I mean that very much reminds me of Fight Club, um, Tyler Durden's oh yeah. Um, yeah resistance to like materialism as a, as a spiritual solution for uh, for humanity, and so he has this kind of asceticism um, in which he kind of result. Uh, uh, pulls away from things like that but what gets created is this like terrifying fascist um um, alt-right group um out of that right um go ahead i'm sorry yeah well no i mean just to go back even further another more just to just to throw in more mores yeah uh sir thomas more in utopia talks about this oh interesting okay you know and sir thomas and and that book has been said to be a recipe for fascism too everybody wears the same clothes yeah Everybody walks around in these like brown tunics. Yeah, they use um, they use gold in their toilets and chamber pots, right? Because uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you have this idea of, and you can even see it in the Soviet Union, right? Uh, when the Soviet Union was was around, uh, there was no consumer goods, right? I yeah. mean, everybody it was a little trap. So at least that's what we were told in in, in the West, but. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, but 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 my point is, you're, I'm not saying these things are are desirable. I'm just saying no, that no. they are there. And, uh, but it, it's almost like, you know, for, for me, I, I've just, as I've gotten older, I've sort of just learned that one side doesn't have a monopoly on the truth. So, 
Right. I mean, I think consumer goods are important and necessary and I love them. And, and, and but at the same point, I think, you know, you, they can be taken to an extreme. So you got to sort of find, uh, like you said, they sometimes turn into this terrifying nightmare where, you know, it, it's, it's a fascist state. So, um, but uh, but I do see some of these elements, but you're right. I mean, sometimes they do turn into these things. Well, a lot of times they do. I mean, I guess, I mean, what I'm saying, I, what I, I guess how I would distinguish that, there's a difference between buying um, a car to drive to work in, right? And, and there's a difference, that, that kind of thing um, is different than filling spiritual holes with stuff, right? Um, and and right. I think that's okay. kind yeah. of, um, yeah. like, so consumerism, I suppose, is what I'm kind of ta- thinking of when I'm talking, to, when I'm making this criticism here. And so, yeah, and I think um, with I mean, the, the consumerist mindset um, is not what V has in mind for, like, right. the good of the of the person, right, um, of the individual. That's not what defines a free individual is the ability to kind of um, – right construct selves um, through consumer purchases, right? And so, um, which is, again, I want to keep going back to this, like uh, the shadow uh, gallery, the the collection of cultural artifacts, which are not necessarily individualistic. So these are things that are corporately consumed by, um, by society, right? And so he has like, I, I can't remember any of the specific references, but there are old like old movie posters and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't for an individual to consume as an individual. That's when people went to movies together uh, and, and and consumed a common culture, right? And so the Quran was in there too. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, um, very interesting. And so yeah, but so that's that's the kind of like consumer society that I think he has in mind. And this is one that. Yes, as individuals, we are consuming these things, but it is not, it doesn't end at the individual level. Like we consume these things as a culture, and that's what creates a cohesive culture, not the, the application of force from above by, um, right. by director Susan, right? And so you've got this, um, a, a, a significantly different idea of what defines a human being in that way. Um, and, and I don't, I mean, and that's to me a very, um, Arnoldian. Um, I want to go back to Matthew Arnold here. Um, his idea in in the Victorian era, when he saw, you can see this in the poem Dover Beach. Um, he sees the receding of religion as a thing that binds us together as a people, right? And so, um, and so he wants to. He thinks that culture, big C culture, um, is going to be that thing that gives us a, an identity as a people, right? And so, um, and, and it's all about sweetness and light for him in, in that way. And so in, in some ways, I can see V as a kind of violent version <laughs> of Matthew <laughs> Arnold, really, um, as much yeah. as Guy Fawkes, um, because he sees culture as the thing that's going to fill this like spiritual gap uh, um, that that is um, what's missing in the fascist state. Um, so... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to. Well, pitch I, it I to thought you. Were, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was pitching it to you. Go ahead. No, I think. I mean, I don't know Arnold that well, so I don't want to speak to. But I mean, I, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I will add this though. Um, Mikhail Bakunin is one of the premier theorists on anarchy, and and you know, it's been a long time since I've read him, but. Essentially, what he talks about also is in an anarchy, you would have authority would be temporary, voluntary. Um, and I'm basically like a, like a, like a need basis. So if uh, I'm a, I'm a shoemaker and you're a butcher, I, I, you know, you, you have the, the knowledge of butchery. I don't have that. I would go to you for meat. I mean, it's, it's, it's sense of like a glorified barter system, yeah, I yeah. guess, but, 
you know, but 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 there would be order. It just wouldn't be temporary and on an on need basis. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting conception as well. And again, we don't get any of this from V. We we don't know, right? We maybe we should write a V for Vendetta two. You know, we have to see, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all we have now is sequels. Why don't we make a sequel to that? Um, <laughs> And sort of explore some of this, but that's another interesting conception of anarchy as well. Marx doesn't really get too much into it. He didn't want to prophesize too much about it, but Bakunin uh, really talks about um, you know, what it could be, uh, th- this idea of anarchy being voluntary and whatnot. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, because I know we're, we're kind of coming to the end here, was in uh, The Killing Joke. Yeah. Talk about the no-self. The Joker is the penultimate no-self, right? Uh-huh. I mean, in one section, the Joker says my past is multiple choice Uh. he says i like to remember my past in different ways um you know and of course if you go back this is an alan moore but if you go to the movie which was inspired uh the heath ledger movie yeah you know the the whole story about the scars you don't know where it comes from yeah he has multiple Um, stories for it yeah yeah even in the new one with joaquin phoenix something that i noticed was you don't know what's he's an unreliable narrator because mm-hmm. some of that crap he makes up the whole am i allowed to give spoilers on this um yeah well yeah just uh if you haven't seen joker yet we might spoil a couple bit of a little bit of it here so um, pause it and then come back at the end so go ahead so in the one sense uh he has a relationship with a woman have you seen it danny i have seen it yes Okay, so that relationship with the woman, you know, that was all made up. That that wasn't, you, just, you know, that wasn't there. Yeah. It got me questioning, what is he actually seeing? Yeah. You know, at the end, we see Bruce Wayne, the whole thing with Bruce Wayne's parents at the end. So, you know, that has to be somewhat real. Yeah. But, I mean, the Joker, in a sense, and, of course, I know he gets a backstory, but I have a great um, a great resource on the Joker. I, I'll give it to you, you know, for the show. It's, it's, it's really phenomenal. It was written in 2015, so you probably have to update it now. But it always talks about his past. Even when he gives it, is always suspect. You just you don't know. Yeah. So the Joker is this sort of maniacal no self. Right? Yeah. But I see elements of a no self in there. Yeah, um, that is f- such fascinating stuff. And really, this book um, is uh, is really really interesting and and complicated in a good way, right? So the 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 paradoxes that I'm pointing out about V are not necessarily a criticism of him. To me, it's what makes him an interesting character because if you follow a, a trail long enough, it ends up eating itself, sort of, right? And so, um, yeah. and, and and I think that there's something that's really interesting here. There's a there's a dialectical way uh, of understanding this world. You've got this fascist state that arises rises out of a, a state of anarchy, right? And in its implication of power, it creates an anarchic, uh, insane person that wants to bring back anarchy, right? And so V is actually a, I mean, he's a creation of the fascist state and, and their sort of um, activities. And so, but what they create is their own undoing. Uh, in in, uh, in in the character of V, and so, um, but they themselves came out of a world that V himself might end up creating, right? <laughs> and so, it, it's a really interesting sort of um, cyclical, uh, dialectical uh, progression of history that we, we've seen here, and I, I think it's um, it's a really worth revisiting at this stage in our. Uh, own kind of battles with a, a reemergent fascism in in across the world, and so this is book is I think is going to be one of those kind of evergreen things that people will come back to from time to time. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Angelo, about this particular reading, um, this pr- particular approach. Um, if there are listeners out there, and I should have, I wish I would have said this earlier. Um, 
if there are listeners out there who are Buddhist um, and have some um, uh, additions or criticisms of things that we've said here or clarifications about things that we've said, um, by all means, either email the show at sectarianreview at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page. If you go to Facebook and just look for Sectarian Review, you can find us there. We're on Twitter as well. Um, but um, by all means, um, fill in the gaps of the conversation that we left. We'd, I'd love to uh, um, to have uh, to have this go, go on more. Uh, Angelo, uh, can people get in touch with you in some way? Or, or... Yeah, so my, my email is um, aletizia at ndm.edu. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also on um, Twitter at Academic Comics. So those are the two best ways for people to reach me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Twitter uh, is a great place to find um, me as well. So I'm Danny P. Anderson at Twitter. So um, uh, great, great conversation, Angelo. Um, I want you to stick around for a few minutes and we can talk a little bit about the Joker for maybe 10 or 15 minutes yeah. for, for our uh, Patreon patrons. And uh, everybody else, um, consider uh, joining up on Patreon and listening to that and other things. Um, if not, then um, it's been great talking to you and we'll talk to you next time.